right. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We're coming to you live on a Wednesday. It's a lovely day here in Charleston. The weather is 70 this whole week, so I've got nothing to complain about. I worked outside all day yesterday, uh, which was like perfect. Uh, luckily, I can see my screen, you know, underneath the porch, uh, the old glare on, on Max. Um, today, we've got John Johnson, uh, enter, or principal customer success manager, over uh, for key accounts at user testing. Yeah, make sure you get that principal manager key accounts at user testing. I almost messed that up. Uh, John, how's it going? It's going good, and it's a principal. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm I'm the principal for everybody, guys. All right. I appreciate the pal part. Uh, we've also got Jay here. You know, we're uh, we're doing some of these again. You know, together. This is yeah. a rare occurrence, but I'm glad we're doing this. Yeah, it's great. Great to be here. Pal, pal is how I always remember how to spell principal versus principal. Yeah, <laughs> that's pal. I forgot that there was two. By the way, principal was never a pal, right? You're you're like high school principal. Uh, your pal. Or, yeah, uh, you're your pal. Yeah, yeah. But most of the time, yeah, that was true. Um, well, John, you know, we've had the chance to get to know you over the last couple of years. I have to, you know, give you a quick shout out that you uh, you kicked off our first ever in person inaugural GGR happy hour event by playing music. <laughs> Uh, at our playing unscripted you literally had all your stuff in your car and jay said you have your stuff in your car you should like set up and play we didn't even ask hotel staff like we had no (laughs) approvals to do this this is like an actual lobby of a hotel yeah we just had john set up and i i promise you the hotel staff came over and was asking me questions like did you guys get this approved i was like yes like they told us we could do this (laughs) i was you know i was on your side um but it elevated our event Um, it was amazing so you know, it's funny because I, I got a, I got a little, I have a different memory of this. Like, like I, in my mind, and this is also the creative, like, you know, I justify myself very easily, but <laughs> what, what I thought was a casual conversation or, or what you may have thought was a casual of like, yeah, it'd be great if we had some music, like your musician, like I drove up specifically for that. I talked my boss into getting me a ticket to Saster specifically for that event. And uh, I, I flew it. back early from a trip on the East Coast to make it back to San Francisco for that. So like I had been planning on this music thing as like, oh, this is going to be so great. And uh, like in my mind, there was no, like the hotel had signed off on it. Like I, you just, <laughs> it's proof that you just act, if you act like you belong there, that's right. You can you do make anything. Yeah. yeah uh, but I, I had a teacher that, that once told me, you know, if you got to go to the restroom or you got to leave the office, just walk like you know where you're going and yeah. nobody's ever going to stop you. Yep. So true in life. It's like yeah. manifesting is I think what the kids would call it these days. I do well, appreciate your call out to like a casual conversation, you know, like, cause that, that does sound like Jay and I would be like, you know, music sounds great. Like we should totally, I remember that. that now actually at Saster in the blazing sun outside. Yep. I'm like, man, you got all your guitar gear. <laughs> Yeah, awesome to have some music at the event. Yeah, no, but it's we also heard good. your stuff. I think on Spotify prior. Yeah, well, and I still like Christy, uh, who I who I met at at Saster. Like, writes me every time I release a new song. It's like, oh, my kids love your music. Like, it's like Dude, it's a whole thing. Awesome. Like, I love this. You know, I've always um, as a customer success manager, my almost my entire career, I spend a lot of time traveling. And mm. one of the things that I love also as a musician is that anytime I have more than three or four days in a city that I've been to, I like reach out to my contacts. I'm like, hey, is there like a, is there a show? Um, and one of my favorite things to do is to invite my customers 
and put them on the guest list to a club that I'm playing at. And I, I did it up in New York uh, um, last cool. year and we sold out a venue in like New York City and like all my leadership was there and a whole bunch of customers were there. And it was just a really cool mm. like we talk about relationship building, but like um, most of the time it's like I'm like as a CSM, we're trying to invest in their lives. But the easiest way that I found is bringing customers into yours. Yeah. Right. And, and like cool. this is what I'm passionate about and I'm going to do this regardless. Right. I, and they get like this cool, like, Oh, I'm on the guest list and I get drink tickets and I'm going to go to the green room, you know? And it's like, I'm playing to like <laughs> 75 people in a dive bar <laughs> in like Queens. Right. So it's not like, that's cool. We're still not like, yeah, we're still you know, not like, uh, like city field, you know, that's what I feel. Yeah. Like. That's what I feel like's happening. Yeah. To, hey, but it's great because you know, then LinkedIn blows up and they're like, Oh, my CSM brought me to this show. And I found this other new band and it's so much fun. Like, and there's just this, like, there's this glue that kind of sticks with you. Your, uh, your point about inviting them into your life is actually so true because, um, again, like you said, right. You start asking questions, Oh, your kids are like, Oh, what do you like to do in your free time? Right. And like the natural reaction for people is almost like clam up, right? Like, Oh, like, I don't, I don't want to tell you that, you know, like, I don't want to, but if you start just to almost like, like, you know, giving that stuff out. Um, like one of the things I always typically, or I always would do with customers. Like first thing I always say is like, uh, I'm a heartbreak sports fan. And they're like, what, what does that even mean? And I'm like, I choose sports teams that literally have heartbreak with them. And like Buffalo bills, you know, lost three super bowls or four super bowls in a row. Like how devastating is that? But then like, they'll remember that. And I've gotten emails or I've gotten notes from people that are like, Oh, so cool. The bills made the playoffs or, Oh, they made, you know, this. And it's like, if you can create some of those little small moments though, that's, yeah. that's where people remember that kind of stuff. So I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Um, all right. Icebreaker questions. Then we're going to get into our topic. Um, seeing you are a, music, a, music, uh, a musician, um, the icebreaker question I've got for you and Jay is, um, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Oh man. it's mm, a good one. Jay, I you go like, first. I'm going to think, I'm going to think. You want me to get first? I go oh, to so man. many concerts. <laughs> yeah. You've probably been to a lot more concerts than I have. Um, I'll give mine since I've, I've and then I'll let you two think. So, um, one of mine is my wife and I, uh, we, we started, uh, dating, um, uh, remotely. Uh, so we, we knew each other in college. We met in college and then she, um, uh, in the Skype there. days, just like, <laughs> no, she went and did a trip in uh, Europe. Like when she graduated college. So we were apart for like five or six months and the Lumineers were like really big then. That was like their first album. And they, uh, came out on tour. And so we listened to that album like all the time. It was like, it was a great connection for us because we were far away. And like you said, music kind of brings you together. And so we were like, all right, we're listening to this. And then when she moved back, it was literally like the next month they played a show in Daniel Island, South Carolina here at this, uh, tennis stadium which is outdoors and so we got yep. tickets and went and that was like a super cool it's like sunset we've been listening to this album for like six months my my at the time girlfriend was back in town and like we were gonna like you know hang out forever so uh that was like one of the cool moments for me just from like a personal level that was a really fun fun concert and like all the songs are so memorable on that album yeah that's awesome john don't you have a connection to the lumineers yeah yeah so uh when i i uh i had some friends of mine uh are in a band called the head and heart and i'm from seattle good band their first tour um i had just moved to denver from seattle and their first tour they played at this bowling alley called moe's out like way out like 20 minutes outside from the city and i was you know i went to go hang out with them and there was maybe you know, 70 or 80 people there. Uh, and the Lumineers opened for them before <laughs> their record came out. And it was just the three of them, right? So it was yeah. um, the, the girl and the two guys. And I, they played Ho Hey. 
And this is before it was recorded, before the YouTube video. Um, and I remember sitting in the front row going like, holy crap. Like this is, blow up. this is something. And I actually met like for the next few weeks, like I like made friends with like, I was like, we got to talk because I record music and I was playing in bands and they were like a small band. And I was like, we got to record this song. And I remember like I have the, the, the text chain with, uh, with, with Wesley and, um, Jeremiah saying like, Oh dude, we can record this in this old church in like downtown Denver. And I was like, I'm going to get all this gear. And then they played a house show and that video blew up that ho hey video blew up and a friend of mine in seattle who does music management um uh, Kristen, signed him and they blew like they just absolutely That's blew wild. up and they recorded the record in seattle with some with uh with a couple other uh, like you know people that i know in the music industry but i remember i remember vividly find like that i think that was one of the last times that i remember finding a band that i loved as an opener like that was like key yeah, my, yeah. when yeah. my music was like i gotta see the opener so that's cool um i, I actually that. thought so my my favorite show there's there's actually two and they're they're kind of on different spectrums so um i saw death cab for cutie uh, the transatlanticism release show at the, sh- I think it was the show box in Seattle, which is like an 800 cap room. And they, they were on, um, like a local, I think it was sub pop or bar souk. It was bar souk record, a small Seattle record label. So they weren't like the big yeah people were listening to them, but I, I remember they played that record front to back. And to this day, it's my, it's my favorite favorite, like one of those records that I just back to front and the experience was, was religious. Um, and then I would say from a big perspective and then, uh, the first 1975 U S tour, um, I saw them in Denver at a small club and they played that record front to back. And it was like, it was just, you, you see those similar with the Lumineers. You're like, these guys are going to be playing stadiums, Yeah, you know, like, and now I can't handle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever Maddie Healy does, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, maybe I'm too old. Um, I'm dating myself here, but like, um, I just love like the connective tissue of like a, of a, of just a, sh- of a good show. Yeah. You know, you feel the energy, you know, yeah. especially like some of the smaller venues where you can find bands. Uh, another one that I had, we went down to uh, hangout fest in, uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Mm-hmm. The first year it was there. That's a great Jakey, festival. Jakey Graves is like probably my favorite artist of the last number of years. Yes. And it's like 11 a.m. on like a Friday. And he's like playing on one of the side stages. And we're like one of like 10 people. But I told my wife, like girlfriend at the time, now wife, like we got to be there. We had like a couple other friends. And we're like, I'm like touching Shaky Graves. And there's like 10 people. And like we're like dancing around. And I'm like, this guy's about to blow up. And then like three years later, they're like, oh my God, you remember when we saw him and like no one was there? And now he's playing like, you know, they headline the hey, show. No, yeah. No. It's like crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Jay, who you got? Jay, are you going to say like I, the newsboys or something? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm glad I got some time to think about this while you guys were talking because every time I thought of one, I was like, no. And it led me to like another one and another one. But it's it's interesting. I, two of my favorite concerts have been at the same exact venue that Jeff was mentioning here in Charleston. It used to be called the Family Circle Cup, but it's like a tennis stadium. Super cool. Like big acts come, small acts come. But um I saw a need to breathe there with a bunch of friends and my wife. It was I so fun. I saw them here in Raleigh. Did you? Yeah. I have a cool connection. They're, they're from this area. So, yeah. and one of the guys I play with at Seacoast, he toured with them. I don't know if I told you that ever, mm-hmm. but cool, cool tie in. So that's one. I saw Darius Rucker at that same oh, yeah. place. He played purple rain and literally like it started dumping rain on the entire crowd when oh, he did that. It was, it was just one of those like magical concert moments. You're like, no, that did not really just happen. It was glorious. Um, 
but there were two more that I thought of. Um, one was, this is going to turn into an entire podcast. Yeah. About concerts, I <laughs> Welcome think. to GGR music. <laughs> <laughs> but I once drove, so I was a huge Pearl Jam fan in oh. middle school, high school, college. Um, and there was a band called Brad that the, the, the rhythm guitarist Stone Gossard of Pearl Jam became yeah. part of this band called Brad. And they were playing down in your area, down like the Chapel Hill area, John, and sort of close to where you are. And I drove from Appalachian State to see my friends in, at UNC by myself. And I went to this concert just so I could, because Stone Gossard was like my hero. I was a rhythm yeah. guitarist. Um, I, I always loved what he did. I loved his um, his uh, Les Pauls that he played, and I just went and I went to that concert by myself and watched the whole thing, just standing right in front of my my legend guy. And then it made me think of a couple of others too. So at Appalachian State, we had these this small venue, and it was just like a like a uh, club kind of venue where you fit probably four or five hundred people. I saw Nickel Creek there when. There was literally 25 people, similar to your Lumineers story. Yeah. And they were goofy and 18 years old, maybe even younger at the time. They were complete goofballs. And now, like, Chris Teeley is, like, one of the best in the world. Just the best. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway... you just let me i have others too that were this well, is that's a great fame, thing about being a music fan like a lifelong music fan like is like you yeah. have all these connect like you're talking about you know from i grew up in seattle and oh. like seeing these bands that like were like seattle bands right all of a sudden turn into like universal bands that's such a fun thing yeah, uh, yeah. to hear how even the lumineer story where it's like i remember meeting them in denver and similar stories with like nathaniel rateliff and some of these other like big like local bands that turn into like global bands and you're sitting in north carolina and someone's like oh man this this concert changed my life like gosh music is so cool like it's I know. just it's we so had cool. uh, one of our family friends were um in South Carolina at University of South Carolina in the eighties. And that's when, uh, you know, Darius Rucker and Hootie and the Blowfish were coming up and they just had so many funny stories. They're like, Hootie and the Blowfish was our bar band. Like they would play these like, you know, college yeah. bars and you'd be sitting there and you'd be like, is this good? I can't tell. Am I drunk? Or is this good? And then like eventually it became like, no, this is really good. And then it yeah. was like, and, you know, now they're like, oh my gosh, like can you imagine that this, you know, turned into that. So um, I love it. All right. I great great icebreaker. Yeah. I also looked up Brad, um, the band. Love the, I love that band name, Brad. Yeah. What a great. Yeah. Really I don't understand. I think they only did one but... album. I think they only did one album. I'll send you the song, one of my favorite songs on there. Uh, I love it. All right. Well, we're, I remember it. we'll move past music. All right. Ganger Rotain listeners, today's episode is sponsored by Tatango. Tatango helps you compose inspiring customer journeys so you can retain, renew, and expand your customer base. As the industry's only composable customer success platform, Tatango provides ready-to-use CS programs and dashboards that help you quickly and easily launch moments of value at every stage of the customer lifecycle. Get started or request a demo at tatango.com slash GGR. That is tatango.com slash GGR. And now back to the episode. Um, unfortunately for you too. We and might have to cut that out and do a separate episode so yeah. people can listen to that if they want to. <laughs> um, John, we gotten to know you and I think one of the interesting things that you've um, – you know, moved throughout your career is, is now you're in a role, um, you know, focused on some enterprise accounts, but you're looking at it from this, Hey, how can I make sure that we can build some scaled methods, uh, make sure that we can build some, um, 
some kind of uh, platform to build from, right? So instead of just going and saying, hey, I'm I'm going to go just drive like a key accounts model. I'm just going to be the guy. I'm going to go meet, you know, 7,000 people. You've kind of looked at it and said, hey, how do we go, you know, build some um, programs that we can drive people to? And, you know, slowly over time, right, we'll find the right relationships to build. We'll kind of get into the accounts in the way that we need to. But, you know, how can we kind of build along this? So, um, so I, we thought it was super interesting, you know, coming out of the event in Raleigh we did. And then just I think the topic is uh, that is on everyone's mind right now is around scaled CS and it's a segment of customers. It only works on the you know long tail. It only works on the small accounts. And so, what better way uh, than to dispel that notion than to have you on and talk about, hey, how have you brought this to an enterprise style account? So, maybe the, maybe the first place that um, would be a good opener, you know, as you think about this, is um, how have you thought about, I guess, building those relationships at this account? How have you thought about, hey, you know, we need to go and do this in a scaled way? Like, what was the precipice moment for you that's like, hey, I'm not going to be able to go drive, you know, these relationships at this scale. So I need to figure out other ways to do it. What was the what was that moment for you? Yeah, you know, it comes I, I've spent most of my career in somewhat early stage startups, you know, like where you don't have a million customers or even a thousand customers. Like you're, you're working with a customer base of maybe one CSM that you're managing and, you know, maybe a couple thousand users um, spread across a bunch of different geos, right? So that's very much been most of my experience. So coming into, into user testing now, we're, we're, we're a mature company. Uh, we, were, we were public when I, when I joined. We just got acquired. Um, so they're bringing us private. But, you know, we've got thousands of customers all around the world. And <laughs> I was hired to manage uh, key accounts, like uh, one of, some of the biggest, like the biggest accounts that, that user testing has. And uh, the, the one account <laughs> in this bucket has more users than I've, like my companies have managed in the last eight to 10 years. Like it's like a pipe dream to say we have 6,000 users, you know, because it's like seed to A round stages, right? Uh, where we're like dealing with a hundred people and you're like, this is so great. Like I can't <laughs> wait. So my brain goes into this, like I'm looking at users all across the world. I'm looking at uh, a specific quote unquote book of business. And we've got a very mature CS organization. We have a CCO, we have SVPs, we have like 40 CSMs across our whole business. Maybe I don't quote me on that number. I know this is a recording, so you, you're not going to quote me, but I'm quoting myself, but no we have a lot of CSMs. Um, and we have a really active managed at scale program for our um, like low, um, like low, ARR accounts. Like I think it's like under a hundred grand, um, kind of goes into our managed at scale where we have a renewal manager and then programs. Um, and so coming into this, I was given all of these users and, and the, and who managed them before when I came in, she, you know, she got a promotion and moved on. It's like, good luck. (laughs) Here's a spreadsheet of 90 points of contact, um, across like almost a hundred business units across, you know, some of these, some of these brands, an individual, you know, customer. Uh, and I'm like, gosh, where do you even start? And I'm just like a single person. Right. Um, as I kind of looked into this, like, as I kind of, you know, as I onboarded and and learned more about the company, the resources that were provided to me were incredible. We, We were talking a little bit about, um, like why I started thinking about this is I was given, access to a program manager. I was given access to an SC. I was given like dedicated resources that, that are managed at scale resources. Like that's, that's what they do. Right. And, and I'm like, man, I'm thinking through this, like, I'm never going to be able to have 90 QBRs (laughs) in a 12 month period. Like I can't think of this in the way that I have in the past by saying I've got 
five points of contact and I'm going to schedule it out and I'm going to, you know, take all of this time, you know, 90 days before renewal. Like it's just the motions are too, they're, they're too much. Yeah. Um, so it really came out of like, I didn't want to drown. And so what I did is, is I really started with, um, I also, also, I mentioned resources, but I also have an associate CSM, um, that kind of works in that like tip of the spear, um, you know, like focus attention. And I'm like, how do I utilize these resources in a way, um, that we can move an entire ship and not just, you know, the, the doors in between, uh, the bow and the stern. And, uh, I, it really got into my brain and I spent probably too much time in my first 90 days, like really trying to dissect how they all interact with each other. Like, okay, well this POC knows this POC and it's like, it just becomes impossible. Yeah. So it, 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 it truly was like the only way that I'm going to be able to do this is just to flip the script. Like I have to think about this differently. And the, and the great thing and why I joined user testing and why I love this company and this organization is, uh, you know, my manager, my charter was look, what do you want to do? <laughs> we talked about this in, in interview processes and what, what value means and what, um, you know, how, uh, what my views are on like the, the, the core of customer success. And, um, I think a lot of people that are maybe early in their career or, or don't have the same type of supportive system are like, Oh, I got to do check these boxes. I've got to do yeah. these 10 things and then they're going to grow. And it's like, if you've done this long enough, you learn that that's not actually true. Like it's not like, like you have to, you have to build the groundwork of trust. You have to build the groundwork of value. You've got to do all of these things. And if you're doing it with 10 people, you can do that one-to-one. But when you have 6,000, 7,000 people that don't know each other, that will never know you, how do you build implicit trust and remove bias to action and uh, encourage um, encourage bias to action and remove uh, hesitation or, uh, you know, unwillingness to change processes. And it's like the only way that you can do that is segmentation. So I, I, I really looked at who are these people and what types of buckets can I build? And that got me into this managed at scale world where I was like, yeah. gosh, this is exactly what my managed at scale team is doing. This is what the industry is doing when it comes to, you know, tech touch and all of these things. Um, but it kind of left it. Uh, does that answer your question? I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. can just like talk yeah. for 40 minutes. No, no, so. yeah. We're, I'm going to, don't worry. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll jump in a little bit more. Um, help you, help you, help you feel like that. But I think a couple of things that stand out early on, right. Is the, your, your point about the charter, right. And saying, yeah. okay, it wasn't a prescriptive, Hey, here's the way we have to do it. Right. It was, Hey, here's the outcomes we need to drive. You tell me what we need to do to get there. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what stood out for me too. And then I just wrote down, right? You, I mean, you do have these skill sets that are not a traditional CSM that I think people walk into. And so I think, like you mentioned, you had a program manager, you had a solutions consultant, and you had an associate CSM. I mean, right there, right? That gives you a little bit of breadth to say, okay, you know, I don't, I don't ha- have traditional CSMs that are thinking, okay, I need to go build a one-to-one relationship, right? You've got people that are thinking in different ways already. They're kind of bringing different ideas to the table. So those are two things that stood out to me. But Jay, what, do you, what stood out to you just in that initial... You're on mute. <laughs> I was Great stuttering question, anyway. I was stuttering anyway, so it was better that I was on mute. Now, I was just thinking as you were talking and I was looking through the content you shared with us, <clears throat> it really is you're driving change management at scale. And so using a segmentation strategy to, to help create the buckets of you know, situations that you need to deal with and making that very simple is, is really easy. A lot of times people think strategy is complex. Yeah. 
but it's it's ju- it's actually simplifying things so that you can put your arms around them in a way that's going to measurably move the needle and that you can communicate. So th- those were the two things that were um, my mind is still sort of blown. I guess one of the one of the things that I'm thinking about is you know, this is one very large customer that looks like a lot of customers, but it's not any different than if I was a CSM and I had a hundred customers. Right. Right. So how do, how could, how could people begin to translate what you've done into what they're trying to do yeah. for their book of business? Yeah. So there's, there's actually two parts that, that I think of this and I, and, um, the benefit of working with such a large scale customer is that those buckets fill themselves. Like, uh, I started with, with risk. Uh, because when I came in, there is, there's like 20 to 30% of revenue within certain key accounts that were relatively at risk. And we, we had to figure out why we have a seat plus usage model. So it's like, I'm looking at a report and like, these guys aren't using it. Okay. That's my first bucket. It's pretty easy to say like, well, these guys are the, I logically are more than likely not to renew or to downsell. Right. So let's look at that. Right. When I build these buckets of, uh, I have, I think I shared, there's like five buckets. It's like no usage, low usage or four buckets, general usage, and then super users. Right. And I, I kind of set benchmarks and you can do that yourself. The benefit of having thousands upon thousands of, of customers is that when that no usage is gone and they're all in low usage, new people are coming onto that platform every day. Right. So they're refilling. That's a little different when you're dealing with a hundred people. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, the revolutions, um, if you're thinking, you know, cyclical, mm-hmm. um, not change the world, <laughs> but also I guess so, uh, it would, would increase when you have a smaller user base, you would, you would need to go through resegmentation processes and rethink your buckets on a more regular basis than I do. I'm looking long-term, like I'm thinking I am the CEO of this book. Like that is, that is mm-hmm. my charter. You own this think about, I think about it in the 12 to 18 month life cycles. I think about three year terms. I think about strategy for growth, you know, after, you know, we've hit these benchmarks, that's not going to be the same when you've got a hundred users and you're on that call and you get them all using within a month, you've got to rethink what that segmentation is, right? So, uh, the speed at which you are adjusting your strategies is going to change, but it's, it's, it's just going to shorten and you're going to find value quicker when you have a smaller book of business. And this is why I really like this model, um, is because it encourages CSMs to think, not set it and forget it, which I think a lot of people get into, they get a playbook and they, they implement it. And then like 18 months later, they're like, what, what are we doing now? Like, this is different, right? And nobody revisits these Mm -hmm. strategies. And this is what I really like about this process is that it encourages you and it requires you when that bucket's empty to be like, shoot, what, what buckets next? Right. And you move them up and it gets you into thinking of a maturity model and a maturity curve from a user basis that allows you to speak at the executive level when you get there to know everything that you need to know about a broad spectrum of people. You, you may not know what Sam in, you know, Charleston is doing, but you know what the persona that Sam inhab- inhibits and in, uh, be is yeah. Yeah. Uh, represents. And then, you know, the value that you're providing to them. And then you're able to have those conversations at an executive level intelligently. That's so I just wrote down two things that you're talking, right? Where you, I mean, Again, I think to Jay's point, simplicity, right? You didn't look at this and say, hey, I need a complex health score. I need a complex model that gets all these data points. Well, I mean, I did, but like three three weeks in, I was like, this is too much. (laughs) (laughs) We'll cut that part out of the conversation. Um, But you, I mean, you looked at it and said, hey, I just need usage, right? Hey, let's low, I mean, zero, low, medium, high. I mean, 
simple, right? The other thing that I think you just said, which which to me becomes kind of a secondary metric of that segmentation is then looking at it by persona, because then I think what you start to do, I'm making this assumption, so you tell me if I'm wrong. What I think what your next step is, is okay, um, Jeff is a uh, finance leader using this product in you know, this part of the country, he has no usage. Okay. What does the change mean for him? You know, how, how do we change that for him? What does it, what does it mean to do, you know, be in finance or maybe there's a different business unit over here. Right. But if you start thinking about people in different units, then you start saying, okay, how do I get them from, it's not always the same answer to get them from no to low when they're in different business units, right? You kind of have to think a little bit about, okay, these are the right buckets, but now that becomes a secondary segmentation that you can then say, okay, I've got a little bit of content for each of these people on how to move them from zero to one um, and kind of move them up the ladder. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that's the thing is that um, when I talk about like flipping, flipping the script, I didn't, I didn't do this because I know exactly what these key accounts need. I did this because I have no clue. I have no clue what moves the needle for a key account with 6,000 users. And luckily, like, you know, we're, we're a healthy company. So I have some breath and some space and we've lost some deals and we've grown some businesses, but this is truly learning. I, my job is to learn what this customer and these customers need and then apply those learnings to the gaps that are, um, that are uncovered with these processes. Right. So you talk about moving it from zero to one, like that's step one, that's persona, irregardless of persona. Right. So we almost have these like step one, no, no matter who they are, is to get them from zero to one, right? And, and and that's where that secondary level of segmentation where it does get a little complicated, right? Where you're like, okay, here's usage, here's basic health. But then it's like, how do you get into that super user or that advocacy or that other stuff? And if you don't get them from zero to one, you'll never get to advocacy, right? And yep. you can't skip, right? So I, I really think about it in a way of saying, look, here's this... 30% of my users that are trying to get from zero to one. Here's this other X percentage that is one to five or whatever you want to, however you want to like metric that or track that. Yep. But if you don't, if, if these people aren't showing the same behaviors in these upper echelons of your segmentation, then that entry level point, if they're not using it, if they're not invested, if you don't know what their persona is, you won't know what to prescribe them. Um, and it really comes down to like, I just throw things at the wall. Like I, I really, I think about it like a marketer. I have a background yeah. um, from like a small boutique marketing agency in Ventura, California for like three years of how to like manage like the experience of marketing campaigns, right? And that was a part of my career. And, and I think about it like marketers don't walk into a room saying, I know everything and I'm going to sell everything. They're going to like, okay, I'm going to A-B test it. I'm going to, I'm going to validate it. And I'm going to, I'm going to fail 10 times before I win once. And when you have the space and you're not rushing and you have patience <laughs> to be able to say for this quarter, I'm going to try these, uh, we, uh, we talked about, we did the Pendo event in Raleigh last month, um, that this has been transformational for me is the ability to use Pendo to validate and to uh, trigger different segments and send them into different locations based on uh, behavior that I perceive, but then also look at usage the next month and say, this did not work. <laughs> right? yes. Like we're sending them a, let's try sending them B this time. Right. And, and really looking at what moves that number. And then when you find that win expanding, and then That's adding right. it to a secondary segmentation. Um, so, where, where did you get? So you were you were new to user testing. You were new to this environment, this account. You talk about trying things, but certainly you got insights about what 
needed to be tried, what had been tried in the past. Talk to us a little bit about how, like, where did you get those insights? Did you have a data set that you looked at or was it qualitative conversations you had with the customer? Where did, where did you start your learning process about what the needs were? Yeah. So I would say it came from the first three months of, of really thinking about this account like a traditional CSM. Like truly, truly saying, okay, here's my 90 points of contact or 100 points of contact. I'm going to send personalized emails to every single one. And I'm going to really think about my headline and the content. I don't know anything about these guys. So this is like learning, right? I'm like, this is me. How do I provide value? And I don't know anything about them. And falling on my face. And, and like meeting with my boss, uh, uh, Andrew Pullman, I like one of my favorite bosses, uh, he's moved on, um, to another role, uh, incredible, incredible manager to be like, you know, not shaming me, but it's like, well, what, what else can you try? Like really like saying, not coming to me with answers, but saying like, yeah, okay. How, yeah. Interesting. Like you're not getting anybody responses. Like what would you do? Like outside of user testing or in general, like what is your natural alignment to like, how do you figure out what these people want? And it's like, gosh, data. <laughs> like that's my, always my thing is like finding data and it's like, okay, well, what reports can I build out and what data points can give me insight to come into a meeting with somebody and be like, I can provide value on day one because half of a new CSM's job is like faking it and saying like, look, we're here to provide value. And if I don't and don't know anything about you, these guys are busy. They're working right. their tails off doing their job and they want to like teach me who they're paying for a service, what they do. Like I am so over that. <laughs> right. the, uh, the big thing that you just called out too that um, I don't want to gloss over is there's been a, there's been this um, hesitation, I think in customer success to test things yeah. on customers, right? We kind of, we actually in marketing, right? We're testing in the market. We can go do ABs. We can, we're fine with prospects, right? Hey, let's go test stuff on prospects. We don't really care, right? They're not a customer yet. But once they've crossed that line, we actually sit there and say, we almost overthink everything. We say, oh my gosh, it has to be worded correctly. Oh my God, we got to, you know, it's got to run through seven people before we get it out the door. You know, is this the right thing to be saying? And we've, we've actually neglected like the biggest part of our business where we should do the most part of our testing, which is like, we have a customer who's a captured audience who's already, you know, with us, they're already in the boat with us. Like as long as we go to them and say, Hey, we're going to try some things. We're going to get stuff right. We're going to get stuff wrong. Like you come with a little bit of that humility. I think it goes a long way. Uh, but that is like the number one thing I took away from that. Cause I also think back in some previous experiences I've had, right. It was like a, don't test that on customers. Let's test yeah. it on prospects, right. Or, Hey, Hey, we got to just, just, Hey, let's make sure it's okay. on the customer side, like we don't want to ruffle any feathers. Let's do the same thing that we've always done because you know, we know it, it gets that 10% conversion. That's great. We don't want to get 11 or 12, you know, let's just get 10 and we'll, we'll move on. So I just think that's an interesting point you called out that there is that hesitation, I think naturally with customers. Well, you, you, you mentioned like, uh, like my program manager, Sana, I lo- she's one of my favorite coworkers. Um, just super smart. Um, she gives me a report on open rates for our newsletters and our invites. Um, and we were getting like eight or nine, 10%, right? When you look at like standards for like newsletter openings, like not a captured audience, but just generally newsletters, like four to 5% is good. Right. And marketers are like, yeah, money. I want 40%. These are our customers. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're, we know their names. We have their email addresses. Like we know what they're doing. Like why, why are we settling for really low conversion rates? It means that we're not providing value. It means yeah. that like that work yep. that Sana is doing incredible work. 
like if you net out the dollars to the hours spent versus work inputted, it's really low when when we should be able to say, like, I know what content my customers want, because for the last 10 months, I've been running these A-B tests and it's either going to be education heavy or it's going to be product heavy or it's going to be event heavy and and split it and see what what converts higher and then move all of your traffic to one and then work like it's you talk about simplification and and I know people that don't have these experiences think of this as a big, scary, dark hole. And it's like, you don't need a program manager to do this. Split your list into 10, 10 people here and 10 people here, write one email with a headline, write another email with an end line and see who responds more. Put your link for your uh, chili piper in your email versus, you know, like sending it to them on a zoom, see what works. Like it's really that simple. Um, you can scale that up then when you get these resources. And that's where the scale comes in is because I'm not trying to solve the problem of my day one. I'm trying to solve the problem three years from now when this is yeah. twice the size and we have 10,000 users. What processes am I implementing that are going to meet that need, not just people? And and this is the thing that um, I really loved about the event that we did. It's like, I want people to do what people are good at. And I want computers to do what computers are built for. Um, and we have all these tools and data sets at our disposal. And if we're not using that to infer or inform the decisions that we're making, like where am I spending my time? Who am I building relationships with? I can confidently say that over the last year, I have built more deep relationships with fewer people within the biggest account that I've ever had that have moved the needle in a more mature and massive way than any of my one-to-one -one management in the past. And that comes down to triggers of figuring out like, gosh, these four people <laughs> keep coming up and, you know, here's their title and here's their experience. And I'm going to go make an effort. I'm going to take them out to dinner and we're going to learn about what makes them tick because that little nudge will increase the value that they find in the platform, but also the revenue that we're having as a company. And that's the job. When you look at, um, when I look at some of the, the materials that you had just sent us about, you know, what you've kind of built, um, over there. I think the interesting piece that I, again, I keep coming back to, and this is what Jay was mentioning, right? The simplicity of like, you're not trying to overcomplicate it when you look at, like you had these simple buckets around, um, usage. And then again, when I look at how you've tried to then build some of these, what you call the canvas, right? Of like, Hey, what's, what's going to happen with these people? You pick simple metrics. I mean, you put things on here. It says like, if no studies launched within 30 days, um, again, simple, right? We're not talking. And again, I'm, I'm assuming, right, if they haven't launched a study in 30 days, that kind of relates back to usage. And so it's like, okay, that's a standard mechanism. Yeah. It means they bought a seat and they haven't used the platform. Yeah. So, but then you, you look at, I look at again, like triggers and the way you kind of outline some of this journey work. I think people have gotten into this phase of like, Hey, I need to overcomplicate and build this complex journey. We've got multiple touch points across multiple things. And again, I look at your stuff and you literally have four slides and that I don't mean this in a bad way. You have five slides, right? I don't mean this in a bad way. Like you've simplified it and said, I have the same kind of the same format on each slide. And I'm literally looking at specific triggers and I'm just reading off the slide. It says like, if this doesn't happen, trigger in Pendo. If they do these things, we invite them to a 301 course. We do an invite based on topic. We do in, in person or onsite training. Like this isn't complex. You've made it simple. And then also you've just tried to find these moments where you could push them into a scaled approach, right? You're, you're kind of leading them and saying, Hey, the right thing for you to do right now is take this 301 course that we have for you because of your usage and the way that you can build and develop like beyond this. But again, I just kind of go back to, I think sometimes people overcomplicate this journey and you know, how do you get scaled approaches in? And it's like, 
if I look at this, you've basically broken it down into pushing them into education, pushing them into community-led experiences, and then making sure they've got in-product notifications and like um, pop-ups and follow-throughs. And that, that to me seems like a very simplified method to drive a lot of engagement interaction. And, yeah. and, then, and then you can measure it, right? Yep. If you know what your strategy is for each of those segments, and it's easy to say, we're doing it or we're not. One of the, one of the most painful things that I've watched over the past however many years we've been doing this in customer success is the fact that nobody can figure out how to measure a CSM, <laughs> right? It's like net retention. No, it's actually no. not net retention it's because not. that's a company metric. It's just too far removed from the day-to-day work that somebody actually does to say that's the way you're going to evaluate their performance. And there's a lot of other company factors to net retention. But what I love about this is that it just breaks it down and it gives you a series of things that you can measure yeah. to say, Hey, we're getting it done or we're not. You can even use that to justify resources. If, if you don't have somebody to execute something, right. You can make a clear case for why you need that. Well, and that actually leads me to why I like this is that I, I like one of my efforts, we know that if, if they are obviously everybody knows this, but if you're not trained on a platform, you're not going to use it. Right. So we've, I've, I'm right now I'm, I'm re rebuilding our entire training program for key accounts and we're duplicating it across all of our key accounts because we we think that it's going to be applicable not just to yep. one specific but it's going to be all globals right um with 90 accounts 90 uh like groups of businesses that all do different things um we i have a dedicated trainer that does three hour-long trainings with each so 90 times three right now they're not required um we have like a 40% acceptance rate on those, right? Half of them like know what they're doing. They don't need it. Like it's like there is, there's some like wiggle room, but it's like the ones that don't train, that don't launch, that don't use, that are the biggest risk. And and my job right now is to mitigate risk in this market. And we want to make sure that revenue stays stable, right? Yep. So that I have other metrics, but for me, that's the important thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, where, where we're going to reduce the amount of time spent one-to-one with our customers, which people, that's where some of the pushback has come in. But it's really like, my goal is to increase our acceptance of the full gamut one, two, 301 trainings by a magnitude of 40%. Like that is something that I've set for myself. And because I know that we Beautiful. train and, and they do, we have like our basic onboarding 101. We have our um, like deeper, like here's how you report and here's how you get into the analytics for a 201. And 301 is like methodology or persona based. So it's like, are you a marketer? Mm-hmm. Are you an engineer? Are you a UX designer? Like that's going to be really focused on that, right? And if we can get up to 40% of these customers in this bucket accepting all the way up to 301, then we know that that's going to net it a magnitude increase of usage, which is going to make stickiness and and adoption and expand use cases and all these wonderful things that CS is known for. Um, but like that's where all of this comes into. And, and as we kind of move these people through these segments, it's like there's this one guy that is like super responsive and he brought this thing up to his SVP. And I wound up getting on a call with an SVP a few weeks ago at some of these key accounts. And it's, and it's like, with all of this work that has been done behind the scenes with data and emails and reports, I'm speaking in a confident way about what this SVP, what matters to this person. And I'm speaking in their language and we have the opening up opportunities that I would, that would not have happened if a year ago, 
I was just like, hey, ex, whoever you are, like, I need to have a meeting with you because this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> because executive alignment, like, not nah, yeah. bullshit. Like, um, like it's, it's, it is. Like, you posted today, Jeff, where it's like, you know, CSMs should not be skilled in speaking to the CFO. And it's like, that's a script flipped, man. For like yeah, most of my great. career, it's like, you got to get higher up. And it's like, no, 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 wide. It's all about width. (laughs) Well, and it's about arming your champions and enabling them to go have those conversations. We, we have that conversation with our sales team too. It's, you know, how do you go? Cause you're not going to get to everybody. You can't, you're going to have gatekeepers in place. Yeah, You don't have enough time. So how do you arm the people that you need to with that SVP trust the person that he hires way more than you? Like, yeah, why, exactly. why are you doing that? that was, why are you doing their job? That was the, uh, right. that was going to be my takeaway, right? It's like you've used this scaled approach. And then again, I think sometimes people think of scaled approaches as like removing humans, Mm-mm. automating everything. Either or. It's like yeah. called human plus. It's, yes. It's like the buy that URL. And so like what I take away from that, right, is like you built this scaled approach. And now that meeting with the SVP, right, is a perfect way to use yes. you in a concentrated way with a specific meeting with a key leader executive. So instead of, right, like you said, instead of going to the 5,999 other users, you went to the 6,000th one on the first try, on the right try, and that's yep. the right conversation to be having. And that's the thing I think people have missed about Scaled CS is like, you built that so that you could go arm the 5,999 to get to the one and spend well, the spend the human person of like the one, right? Because that's where our value is going to be. And we yeah. it, again, I think we just have to take off the rose-colored glasses here that like this rosy feeling of like, hey, every, CS, every account gets a CSM and everybody needs, like we've trained the buyers into everyone gets a CSM. Now that's the first question everyone asks. Like we've done this to ourselves. Like we need to retract from that and start saying, no, we're going to give you an experience that gets you onto our platform, that gets yep. you using it, that gets you value for the outcomes that you want to drive. We will then, you know, bring the right resources to bear for that. But you don't get to dictate the resources to us, which I think is what's what's happened more yep. often than not. Preach. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is like when I go and talk to that SVP, like I get to go say like you wrote this check for X, whatever that dollar amount is. Right. And I, my job for the last X number of months or years or days or whatever it is, has been to make sure that your investment in your people uh, is, is, is worth it. Right. And it's like, here's all the, what I, I showed this stuff. I say, this is how we get your people trained. This is how we, like that guy that works remote in the middle of Montana that you've never met. It's like, how do I get him to show up to a training? It's like, let me show you what I do. This is how I can guarantee you what a percent, like you bought a hundred seats and I know for a fact, like my goal is to get all of them trained and using it so that that money that you spent is justified above you. And it's like, and then he's like, oh man, I'm in, like, let's do this. Right. And then he goes and he talks to the other SVPs and then it becomes that, you know, force multiplier that we all, all love. But if you don't do that groundwork, if you don't have that ground game, to start from the individual and build up to the organization, you're going to be building uh, an upside down. Uh, I don't know. I, I run out of analogies sometimes. There, there, you know who has a good analogy for this is our friend Damien Halley, which Damien just wrote a book, by the way. Uh, it's called Control the Customer. It's, it's really, I think you might actually like it, John. But he, he's always had this, this two by two matrix. Yep. Two by two matrix that is value versus relationship. Yep. And what he, what he says is there's, I won't do it perfect justice, but (laughs) if you have high relationship value, but no, like low or no product, like value being delivered out of the product, you are automatically at risk, no matter how good the relationship is, because there, 
the the relation, the contractual relationship, the commercial relationship is actually based on exchange of value, yes. dollars for services or outcomes that justify the spend of those dollars. So relationship isn't enough. I just ordered it, by the way. I literally just hit wow. order. That was I insanely also, fast. I, I actually talked to him this week or next week, so I'll tell him we just sold a copy of his book for him. That's yeah. right. I we'll get some royalties bought, flowing this way. <laughs> I also bought in the same purchase because I had it in my, my shopping cart, the Chief Customer Officer Playbook by Rod Shirkus. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, nice. That's good. Jeff, that would be fun to do on uh, on the podcast every once in a while is just like go through your Audible account or your yeah. Amazon account and like talk about I just, recent book purchases. Somehow Jay, Jay has uh, been listening to books for years and somehow yesterday I got the inclination of like, hey, I'm going to go buy an Audible account. And then I was like, $15 a month. <laughs> My daughter takes all the credits. Uh, so get, can I say two things real yeah. quick? One is I think when you talk about these programs, you talk about your playbooks, what happens, you know, in each of the segments that you created based on adoption, this is where the critical thinking comes in, mm-hmm. right? And I think in customer success, we can lack that sometimes because we look out and we say, okay, there's a playbook. You got to go do EBRs. You got to do, you know, you got to do adoption focused things. It's There's all this predefined stuff. But what really matters is how your customer base, the personas that you're dealing with, which are different than what every other company is dealing with, right? The market, your product maturity, all those things, how do they factor together? What do your customers actually need to be successful? And so that critical thinking step of connecting the, the insights you get from the thousands of users into, okay, what do they need as cohorts, as groups is super important, right? Don't, don't just follow somebody else's playbook for this. There's no vendor that's going to tell you how to do this, right? You've got to figure it out for yourself. When I think this is also where this industry I think right now falls down um, as CSMs and as practitioners. We live in the in the age of customer success. We all know this. If you if you're on LinkedIn, the last two years has been inundated with thought leaders that are sharing opinions and yeah. folks that maybe don't have any experience. Like we just uh, the last year, we've seen a ton of teachers moving into tech space and educators coming saying like, man, I want to try something else. And, and coming into an industry that is just, is just completely different, right? Following these certification programs that are incredible. And I love all of them, Yeah, but, but they take them at face value. And I think most new employees or new CSMs will be like, Oh, I'm going to, if, if this, then that, I think we're missing this really big part of context. And I think in general, we need to have this, like, it's not black and white. Like, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing for my customer, but that's not actually as important as me explaining why I'm doing this. Or how you got there. How I got there, what the decision tree. And I I coach a lot of CSMs that are new to the field. um, And it's one of my favorite things, but I get texts all the time. It's like, well, I did this play. Like, what? how do you do this? And I'm like, it doesn't matter how I do it. Like, and it's like, sometimes like they get frustrated. Like my mentees are like, just tell me the answer. And I was like, no, 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 go find the answer. (laughs) Go find the answer in your customers. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful or negative way. I mean that in a really exciting way. It's like, it kind of opens you up so that you're not in this really thin um, experience. Like customer success is not just like sales. There's like every call is different. Every customer is different. Every use case is different. And we have to think about these cohorts and buckets as like clearly defined, uh, my dad used to say um, uh, this thing that like it's one it's like my it's like my it's like firm beliefs held loosely. 
Yeah, I love that. And God, it's, uh, it's the thing yeah. that like uh, every argument with my wife, every statement that I make with my band, I'm like, I believe this. And then somebody's like, actually, and I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like, <laughs> like yeah. you have this thing where it's like, I am so confident in my experience, but I have to leave the door open for something different to lead me down a different path. And it's the other thing that I love about customer success and what I am passionate about is CSMs should always have another box. We should always have another idea. We should always have another strategy. If something falls down, if something isn't working, we never get to just say, "Welp, <laughs> it's yeah, I guess it didn't work." I guess the time's up, right? Like if that's the case, yeah. Like that's there is no clock on this. Like they don't renew. Put them back into the into the prospect pile. Like we constantly need to go through this revolution of what's working, what isn't working bring in yeah. on ramps and off ramps. Like yeah. everything needs to be an on ramp or off ramp. Yep. All right. It's a good place to end it. Um, <laughs> uh, for right now, I think there's more that we could go into another, uh, another podcast episode, but I think the, a couple of key takeaways I wrote down, I think, um, kind of analyzing or evaluating the team that you've got, you know, what are the resources, how can you use them appropriately in a scaled way? Or like, what are the right things to be doing? Um, you talked about, you know, simple segmentation, simple ways to understand, okay, how do I get my customers into buckets that I can then go from zero to one, one to two, two to three, right? How can I kind of move them along? Um, the third that I wrote down was um, this idea of testing. Hey, we got to think a little bit more uh, in like a marketer or a data approach about, hey, I'm testing this. How do I improve this metric? Um, how do I kind of get incremental increases? And then I think we uh, ended it with a little bit of a uh, diatribe around, you know, getting, getting into, um, how do we use the right yeah. person in terms of CSM or how do we use that person in scaled ways, um, on the right kind of moments, um, at these accounts? It's not always automation. It's not always just digital. So, um, John appreciate this where, uh, if people can want to find more about you or your music, where can they go to do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, it's just John William Johnson. First, John has no H, uh, because my parents are creative. Um, my band is called wild coast. Uh, it's all over the place. Um, but, but you know, like you'll, you'll see me in GGR. I love GGR. Um, I, uh, I'm one of the advisors for, for CS insider. I do a lot of work with them on events, um, and building out resources. It's a key for me. Like I, I'm not the, like, I try sometimes to just be the guy to like post every day on LinkedIn. And I just, that's not me. Not cool. Um, I, do that. That's like, Jeff. I, I, that's Jeff. <laughs> I want to be the guy to like it's good. build out something at scale and give you a resource. So please reach out to me if you have questions about this stuff. I've got, I've got decks and I've got all kinds of stuff that can kind of lead you towards some of these answers yourself. Uh, but I really, I really love talking about this stuff. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, like let's talk. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. Mm -hmm.